Hey, Dunker Punks. We are back at it in the new year with this special bonus episode featuring Annalisa Gross, who is the author of this year's Lenten devotional from Brethren Press. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, and this year that falls on February 17th. Maybe you already know that Lent is a six-week season of preparation and self-examination as the church prepares to celebrate resurrection at Easter. Annalisa's daily devotions are titled The Wild Way of Jesus, and she invites us to journey out into the wild during this season. You don't necessarily need a pair of hiking boots to enter into the wild way, Annalisa says we can practice being in the wilderness by paying attention to ourselves and our communities and the world around us. Self-reflection isn't always easy or natural, especially in times like these, when it is so much easier and so much more comfortable to sink into the plentiful distractions like Netflix or romance novels than it is to really pay attention to the reality of our time and the state of our souls. I hope that this conversation with Annalisa and Riley Schott, who is a new contributor from the Arlington Church of the Brethren, I hope this conversation might be an encouragement, maybe a little prod or an invitation for you to enter into the wilderness in this season. Oh, and by the way, you can get your own copy of The Wild Way of Jesus, the Lenten devotional from Brethren Press. You can get it in hard copy or in a download that you can get immediately. You can check it out at www.brethrenpress.com. Hi, Annalisa. Um, so in your devotional, there's a big theme of going out into the wilderness. John the Baptist went out into the wilderness in order to preach against the corruption of his current society. Is there something in particular about our current society that you think requires us to go out into the wilderness at this moment? Absolutely. I think that there are a lot of things in our society that fill up our brains, that fill up our attention, and that fill up our hearts. And so perhaps we need now more than ever to get into the wilderness. Um, What that means, though, can be different for everybody, because I think that there's a common conception that going to the wilderness must involve like hiking boots and a good tent. And I really don't think about it that way at all. Um, That's one kind of wilderness, but it's not practical and it's not necessary to go out beyond places where there are roads or Wi-Fi just to get into the wilderness. I think we can do that in our own lives. Well, and I guess that's what I guess my second question was, what do you think going out into the wilderness looks like in our modern day? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I do love hiking. I would never um, deny the power and the privilege of going out for a hike. But I also have practices that are a little easier to replicate if we don't have a lot of time or if we don't have a lot of money. And that can be as simple as just when we're out for a walk or when we're moving from one place to another in our daily lives, however it is that we go, if we're going in a car or on the bus or on our bikes, to tune into what is living. 
in our own neighborhoods, what's alive in an empty lot or in that strip between the sidewalk and the street or what is growing up through cracks in the pavement. One thing that I do is pick up trash along the street that I live in and that involves, you know, it can be as simple as like 20 minutes a day. Not that I do it daily, I would like to, but I feel like any time that I invest in picking up trash along my street is me pledging allegiance in a small way, in a prayerful way to the myriad living creatures in my city, on my block. I mean, I don't even have, I don't even understand more than the tip of the iceberg of who is living on my street, along with the humans and the squirrels and the semi-stray cats and the birds. There are so many other creatures who are living on my street. And so I feel like I get to be a better neighbor to them by just picking up that trash. And it, it is a very worldly thing to be doing, but I also feel like it's one little way of like speaking up for wildness or for life in the midst of so much mess. Or one other example I thought of, which is very simple, is that in our home, we celebrate spiders. And it's partly utilitarian because spiders eat the fruit flies and the house flies that actually are pretty annoying to us. But it's also just one way that we can be respectful of other living creatures, just like I hope that other creatures respect my right to life. We respect spiders' rights to life, and we don't kill them when we vacuum or sweep we let them be and that is a way of respecting a little bit of wildness even without leaving the house oh, that's great um so what lessons do you think that we should take from going out into the wilderness and bring back to our sort of modern world yeah great question um i actually wonder if that might be a question to address address by thinking about wilderness as something that can also be within us and not just outside of us. It certainly can be outside of us and maybe going for a hike or um, spending time watching the birds on your street reminds you of this, but maybe it's a calling to keep some space in our hearts or in our minds, maybe having some time in our day that is untouched by consumerism, like starting the day every day before we turn on our phone, turn on the radio, turn on the TV, before any algorithm tells us what we should be paying attention to, can we give even 10 or 20 minutes in our morning to letting our energy and our attention be wild, be wide open, or really I would think it's a way of being free. And I wonder what might happen, even if maybe it's not first thing in the morning, maybe you're not a morning person, but I wonder if all of us challenged ourselves to have a wild mind, a wild soul every single day, if we would find ourselves to be just a little bit more liberated. And one thing that I find for myself when I am able to practice this with some diligence, which is not even every day, is that if I let myself be alone with my thoughts, I find out that I'm not alone. I am never alone because an empty mind quickly becomes full of stories, voices, ideas, all of what I have been ingesting for my whole life or for recent days, they reverberate in my mind as soon as I let myself be in the quiet. 
And I think that it's very valuable for me. I think it's valuable for others to meet face to face these beliefs that often we are unconsciously carrying around with us, worries, resentments, expectations that we are carrying like a burden. We need to see what they are. We need to listen to them and take note of them because a lot of these burdens are really unhealthy for us. And so it makes me wonder if Jesus' wild way is easy, his burden is light, we're told in scripture, And I believe that Jesus wants to liberate us from many of these burdens, burdens of violence, greed, envy, consumerism, the isolation of individualism. And so I hope that the invitation to a wilderness in our day-to-day lives is also an invitation to a wild and liberated place that we can find our faith renewed. I noticed there's a sort of theme of suffering in the wilderness too. Do you connect suffering to liberation? That's a really tricky question. That's really interesting because there are so many ways that we are taught that we can be um, made stronger or made more pure through suffering. And I think there are times when that does happen. For sure, it can happen. I think of even the simplicity of like working up a really good sweat like chopping firewood or doing yoga, whatever it is that might make us sweat. I do feel a little purified through that kind of suffering, through sweating out toxins. That's what it feels like I'm doing. So there are some pretty innocent or even healthy ways that suffering or working hard or being out in the wild can give us greater health, give us greater insight, could even redeem us. But there are so many times when pain and suffering break us and not in a way that we can heal from, or they break us into people who are carrying around so much trauma that we see cruelty even when it's not there. And the idea that what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, I think is one of the worst ideas anybody ever came up with. Um, And the more that we're learning about trauma in the world of psychology and therapy and ministry, the more we're learning about trauma, the more we realize that what doesn't kill us could actually be slowly killing us over time. It can be killing our relationships. It can take a huge toll on our well-being in body, mind, and spirit. And perhaps that's one more reason to confront that wild wildness or that wilderness of a little empty space in our day to really listen to what is coming up even within our bodies, what pain or stiffness or dis-ease we are carrying around because it really does matter. And it doesn't just matter to us, it matters to everybody that we're going to be interacting with. So... Another major theme in your devotionals is the sort of need for community uh, and the idea that we have to be liberated together and not separately. Um, now, when Jesus first, first time he goes out into the desert after being baptized by John the Baptist, he goes out alone and certainly starves during that time. But there's also a second time where he feeds the multitudes that he goes out into the desert this is sort of right after learning about the murder of John the Baptist. He decides to go out into the desert initially alone just with his disciples, but he has so many followers at that point that they all sort of meet him there and follow him out there. But the second time that he goes out into the desert, 
he manages to feed the multitudes and they all don't go, you know, they don't all go starving. He, you know, they all manage to be well fed through a sort of miraculous event. And I guess I was wondering what is it about community, particular community within a church that helps us sort of survive the wilderness and become liberated through the process? That is such a beautiful question and a wonderful way of reading scripture and finding wilderness in scripture. So first I want to talk about church specifically, and then I'd like to address what you're saying about community. Of course, I should acknowledge that churches are imperfect. In fact, every congregation, every denomination that I have ever encountered has flaws. Some that the Church of the Brethren often carries around is like, we believe we should be bigger, but that would make us more valuable. We want to avoid conflict. We often give in to the squeaky wheels. And of course, churches often commit painful abuses of people on the margins. So I do not idealize church, but still I celebrate church because by coming together as church, we are trying to pledge our allegiance to the gospel to the good news of Jesus a week that we're choosing to open our brains and our hearts to this word rather than Fox News or NPR it might be that we find outside those doors for one hour a week and hopefully for a lot more hours a week that is what we are tuning into and I do think that that nourishes us just like all of those thousands of people on the hillside listening to Jesus found nourishment through his preaching and teaching and then also through one another as they found that they could trust to share everything they had and it was more than enough. And I wonder if that could be true more and more if we brought our truly hungry, hungry selves to church. I think what I often have experienced in church is that we bring our happy selves, our best facing selves to church, and it's a place to come and celebrate, but we don't always let church be a place that we come with our struggles. And if we can't get in touch with what we're really hungry for, or another way to say that would be if we aren't willing to show what is vulnerable or hurting within us, then we're not letting the people in our church be part of our healing or be part of our nourishment. That is something that we need to challenge ourselves to more and more. And I think of some of the congregations that I've been part of where all it takes is one family to speak up about someone in their life who is dealing with substance abuse or someone who they love who's incarcerated. And it takes one family to tell the truth about that. And then suddenly it's like almost every family in the church has a story like that, has a burden like that. But until we can talk about what matters most, the church can't be a place where what matters most is being infused with the good news, the gospel. In your devotional, you express our need to be flexible but rooted, like a reed or a bamboo plant. Um, and I sort of wonder if being flexible as individuals helps us stay rooted in, your, in our communities and what you have to think, say about that. Yeah, I think you're right on with that. And one thing that that made me think of is that I, I grew up in an intentional community with one other family, sometimes two other families sharing just a small farm. 
And I learned a lot from what that was like about not romanticizing community, but trusting that what we need the most we find in community. And often what seems like it will be too much work only seems like it's too much work because we're so used to what we have to put up with. Let me be less vague and more specific. Like imagine, imagine choosing not to have a car and instead being part of a car sharing program. Well, if you're somebody who's used to having your own car, then that sounds like the most inconvenient thing of all time because you have to like plan your trips in advance or if you suddenly need to run an errand, the car might not be available. Those things are obnoxious, sure. They are inconvenient, but the, the reality of debt that so many people are living with, like totally um, drowning in debt, that is more than inconvenient. And so I think we just get really used to the, the struggles that we expect to have through our culture, through our family, there are pains that we expect that we should have. And we can't imagine another way of doing things. Or another example would be, it's really annoying to share a kitchen with other people who have a different idea about cleanliness, like how often the dishes should be washed or can you wash the dishes with the same sponge that you use to wipe off the counters? Like these are honestly the arguments that I've had when I've lived in community with other people. And it's really hard work, right? To live with other people. But I think of that reed or that bamboo that needs to be flexible so that it doesn't just simply break. And I think the hard work of being in community with other people and talking through what are the expectations for the kitchen where um, if one person in the house cares most about the sponges, how about that person creates the system and is willing to do the hard work to make sure there's always a clean sponge. Like those are the things that allow us to stay rooted with one another so that we have what we need to get through our lives. And I've lived in other parts of the world where it's just not expected that you would have your own car, that you would have your own kitchen, that you would have your own space that you get to control exactly how you want to. And those are often also places where we expect that our relatives and our friends are gonna be up in our business and know all kinds of details about our lives. And those are things that chafe against a lot of what we expect in our more mainstream Western culture. But those are also places where very few people are dying of loneliness. And a lot of people in our culture are dying of loneliness, whether that takes the form of suicide or drug addiction or violence, loneliness kills people. And so I wonder if we just need a huge, um, a turning, a repentance on what we expect of our lives so that we could find that what we, what we really need is something we can get from the people around us and that compromising, sacrificing on a lot of conveniences could feed us in a way so satisfyingly that we don't need as much instant gratification or we think 
we really needed to go to the store to run that errand right now. But then because we didn't have the car available, we find that we can actually fix the thing that broke. Or we have the time to look a little deeper in our closet and realize, oh, I actually have something else that would work for that. And COVID has been an opportunity for many of us to practice some of that because we've had just enough more steps between us and the, the quick fix of whatever it might be that I can't even tell you how many of my friends are sorting through their stuff and getting rid of things or crafting more, doing repurposing and finding a true joy in that, a joy that is much more sustaining than that fast happiness of being able to just go buy a quick thing that then becomes one more thing cluttering up our house. Yeah, that's great. I think even when you, if anyone's ever written poetry, the structure of a poem sort of restricts the way that you can say something, but that restriction opens up for, you know, opens you up to more creative ways of putting something. And often there can be restrictions in our lives that make things, uh, make us more inventive. Yes. Um, poetry also, is a great example of that. Yeah. Okay. I also think what I heard you saying earlier is that a lot of time shame keeps us from being open in community that we you know, we all go through similar struggles, but we're sort of ashamed of those struggles and therefore don't open up to the community and don't realize that there are many other people going to, you know, through this exact same thing. So, I mean, do you have any sort of comments on exactly how shame keeps us from coming together as a community? You said it really well. Shame does keep us from coming together as community because it keeps, keeps us from letting our true self or our full self come. And if we're not really coming with our true self or our full self, then we haven't arrived yet. So what would it mean in a family gathering or in a church gathering for everyone to fully arrive? I don't even know. I think it would be transformational. <laughs> I think it would be life-changing for each of us and for the group as a whole, that we would find greater trust and intimacy. And I don't think it's something that we just get to do once. And I think that's probably why it's so hard because maybe maybe a lot of us have had a mountaintop spiritual experience or that middle of the night conversation with a friend that it feels like no one has ever understood me this well. And it, there is nothing so um, so comforting as being able to confide in someone and have them continue to love me. But it's not like you just get to do it once. We have to keep doing it over and over again. And that's why it's so hard. And that's why even the imperfections and the flaws of church, I think are still worth, <laughs> it's still worth it to be part of church because we have these rituals built in. We have this expectation that at least once a week, if not more, we would come together as church. And that means it's another opportunity to try, to try to fully arrive. I will say the congregation that I was part of that taught me the most about vulnerability and shame is a congregation in Minneapolis, not Church of the Brethren, it's United Church of Christ. And it's a group of people that came together because they wanted to be a Christian community and also be affirmed as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. And that infused everything about this congregation. And so even though by the time I met them, there were maybe a 
quarter of people who were straight or cisgender, everyone in that congregation knew that vulnerability was the expectation. It was the norm. And so it was the only congregation that I've been part of that every single Sunday in the time of sharing of joys and concerns, someone was confessing something out loud in front of other people. It was a place where if the thing about you that is maybe the most vulnerable, your sexuality or gender identity, something that you have been um, hated for, harassed for, told that God wouldn't love you for that thing about you. If that is now at the center of what is held up as holy and sacred and shared in this community, then really everything gets to be brought into the fold. And so people might co confess something about um, broken relationships, about substance abuse, whatever it might be, things that are very tender and the things that we most need prayer for. Like what is harder than overcoming addiction? I'm not really sure there's anything harder than that. Or what is harder than saying, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. That is the hardest stuff of life. And it's the most important. That's what we need to be prayed for by our church community. We need prayers for what is the hardest stuff. It's also important that we hold each other in prayer for upcoming surgeries. Sure, that stuff is really important to our lives. But I think that bringing our faith community into what feels the most tender could change our lives. And I don't want to say that um, casually, because there are probably a lot of congregations where people are sadly wise not to trust each other. It's like it, it takes leadership. It takes somebody to go first and it might not always work. Maybe you confess something that feels truly broken in your life or in your family and the people in your church gossip about you. And so that's why I think this congregation in Minneapolis could do this so well is that there was a, a sense of equality about the vulnerability because this is a group of people who really had been excluded from family or so many other structured forms of socializing. Maybe they had been kicked out of other churches. And so they came into it with a sense of um, equal investment that they all needed something and they all had therefore something to give because they were so clearly in touch with that need. But I think our, our culture offers us a lot of ways of, of hiding our needs from ourselves and I absolutely fall into these traps myself of like, instead of feeling lonely or feeling pain or feeling whatever we might be struggling with, it is so easy to just get on Facebook and be distracted or to eat some chocolate or whatever it is that we might do. We do live in a culture of that kind of abundance, that we have an abundance of um of options for how we might distract ourselves from what feels needy or tender or broken within us. And so <laughs> Lent of all times, Lent is an invitation into that wilderness, into hunger, into frailty, into confronting our own mortality. And I do think that we can leave Lent feeling stronger and feeling renewed, but probably not without the hard work 
of walking that wild way of of staring into the face of of those voices in our heads of criticism or of shame that it does take some of that hard work and maybe your congregation won't be the place that supports you in that maybe it is just one other friend or maybe it is the chair that you really find comfortable that you can sit in for your daily meditation. I mean, we can be creative about this or, you know, where I live in Indiana, it's like really cold right now. So this does not sound fun, but maybe it is a certain tree that you can develop a sense of relationship with during the season of Lent to find some companion companionship for the journey. This is God's wondrous world And to my listening ears All nature sings and round me rings The music of the spheres This is God's wondrous world skies and seas the wonders God has wrought this is God's wondrous world the birds their carols raise the dark of night declare their maker's praise this is God's wondrous world a wanderer I may roam what am I like it matters not my heart is still
Seriously, don't you want to spend the season of Lent with more conversations like this? More reflections like this? More invitations to journey out into the wilderness? Maybe it's kind of weird to say this, but I'm looking forward to being in the wilderness of Lent this year. Looking forward to following Jesus into unexpected places and finding all the unexpected beauty that's out there. I hope you will consider it too. Hey, you can follow us on social media to get all the Dunker Punks podcast news. We are at Dunker Punks Pod. And did you know that we have a new newsletter? You can sign up uh, to get a newsletter at the start and end of each season on the sidebar of our homepage, www.arlingtoncob.org slash DPP. And while you're there at the homepage, think about becoming a donor with a designated tax-deductible donation. You can do that through Arlington Church of the Brethren's PayPal site. Did you know that each member of every episode team is compensated for their time? Become a donor if you value hearing from these young adult voices. $150 pays the honorarium for a full show, $50 for an audio contributor, but even if all you've got is 5 bucks, it adds up when we put it together with other donations. Our spring season starts on March 6th, so pay attention. Heads up. Our first episode comes from new contributors Michaela and Harrison, and it's about environmental justice and environmental racism. Thanks for listening, y'all. The Dunker Punks podcast is a community of folks committed to doing self-reflection in community, walking the wild way of Jesus together. This episode was created by Riley Schlott, Jacob Krauss, and me, Dana Cassell. Jacob Kraus creates our music, Ali Cooney manages communication, Suzanne Lay manages production, the Arlington Church of the Brethren and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. And you can find us online on iTunes, where you can subscribe and leave a comment, and at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. Enjoy walking your wild journeys, Dunker Punks. Until next time.